Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday, a wet, rainy Tuesday here in Los Angeles. Hope you guys had a great President's Day weekend. We're going to talk with uscfootball.com beat writer and columnist Dan Weber today about the USC football team. You guys sent in a bunch of questions. If you have any questions for us, email us, podcast at uscfootball.com, or you can leave us a voicemail by calling 641-715-3900, extension 816. 646, or you can go to our website, parastylepodcast.com. Click on the left side of the page. You can leave a voicemail right from your computer or mobile device. We are on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, Audio Boom, lots of places to get the show. Hope you can go on any of those platforms and leave us some positive feedback. Share it with your friends. Tell your friends that you like to listen to the Parastyle Podcast. Well, let's bring in Dan Weber and, uh, Dan, how you doing today? Hope you're staying dry out there. Actually, it's uh, uh, the sun's out and we haven't gotten the rain yet. So Orange County is the place to be right now. So uh, we're we're doing okay. Interesting. Yeah, we're uh, yeah here in the South Bay. We're not as lucky, I guess. We're uh, <laughs> we're getting we're getting hit. Not it's not too bad, but it's still you know after all the rain we've had, it's a little bad. Um, I'm guessing it's coming our way. Uh, so. I've already been to the park with the doggies, and uh, and and we're hunkering down if it if it does come our way. Nice. Well, okay. So we wanted to do kind of a show today, just answering a lot of the questions that we've got. We got a bunch of them in. Spring ball starting tentatively on March seventh. Uh, we don't have the official schedule yet, but you know that's what we think is going to happen. That's what we we're told. Um, three practices a week. They're going to take a, a spring break week after the first week of practice. And uh, I was talking to Coach Harvey Hyde yesterday, Dan, and we thought we were talking about, you know, getting through the offseason. And we thought next week with the coach, it'd be interesting to have like one of our listeners come on the show and I could record all three of us together. And uh, we, heck, we could even have Dan jump in, too. Um, and, you know, have a fan be able to talk to us about what he thinks about the team and ask questions and things like that. So if you do want to do that, I've got some emails about it. Like I said on the, the show can't email us. You have to, you have to call in because we want to hear what you have to say. So tell us why in a voicemail. So either call 641-715-3900, extension 816-646, or go to peristylepodcast.com, click on the left side of the page and uh, leave a voicemail there. Tell us why you want to be on the show, uh, next week when we record it. We can kind of move the recording time around. We said ideally at 10 o'clock in the morning, uh, 10 o'clock in the morning on Monday, uh, Pacific time. But if, you know, if you're compelled and you have a compelling reason to be on the show, we could probably move that around a little bit. Um, but yeah, I thought that'd be kind of an interesting way to do it, Dan. Yeah. I mean, obviously, uh, I think, you know, the questioners are the best part of our show. So, uh, you know, we'll get one of them in and, uh, and that'd be great. Yep. Love it. I think we'll have a good time with that. Okay. Um, well, let's, I guess we can just jump right in with the questions, Dan. Um, we have a bunch. Um, Frank wrote in and said, I wanted to hear your take on Lynn Swan's impact thus far at USC. He seems uh, 
to be trying to manage expectations for football and basketball and otherwise letting things run themselves? Is he doing uh, things behind the scenes that aren't getting a lot of press? Uh, good luck in your merger with CBS Sports. Thanks for that. Um, you see, Scout is, was purchased by CBS Sports. Uh, you seem to be positive about the merger, and I hope it works out great for everyone at uscfootball.com. Thanks, Frank. I think it will. Um, I hope it will. But, Dan, what are your thoughts on uh, Lin Swan? Well, you know, it's an interesting question because we really don't know. I mean, and and the people at USC aren't completely sure that he's really been on an observation, uh, you know, tour of duty uh, to this point, and he doesn't always voice his opinion. He seems to be, you know, around a lot, asking a lot of questions or listening to, you know, doing a listening tour. But, uh, it's a good, but he, he seems to be a stern taskmaster in terms of the, the, you know, the little chance, uh, you get to sit down with him. We're, you know, had, had a request in for, you know, a week now to, to get a sit down with, with Lynn and we'll see if, if we can, uh, we can do that and explore some of these things and, and get him on the record and all of that. But, uh, I always thought it was interesting, um, uh, when, uh, you know, right outside the locker room after the Rose Bowl, he was not, you know, this was not, you know, giggles and hats and horns and, and all that kind of stuff. This was, uh, well, you know, it's the first step, but, you know, our goal was to come in here as Pac-12 champs and be, you know, part of the national championship, you know, playoff situation fairly often. And, uh, and the one interview he's done, Seemed like he kind of emphasized the fact that we were lucky to make it into the, uh, Rose Bowl. And, you know, it, it, you know, he mentioned that USC had a nine and three record, you know, missed one. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, just little things like that. I don't know. And, 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 and we certainly haven't heard that they went to any extent to try to save Tommy Robinson from, you know, going to LSU. Obviously, they could not have gone to the extent that LSU, uh, you know, could go, but you just had the sense that uh, uh, there wasn't much effort made there. Um, so I think it's to be determined. I think it's very much to be determined. I mean, there are a lot of opportunities, I think, for Lin Swan to, to really show uh, to make his mark. I mean, I think, uh, whether it's too late or not on the, on the Coliseum, for example, uh, you know, a plan that's, you know, really, I think, can architecturally damage the Coliseum with a big tower that they're going to drop right in the middle, take out 9,500 of the, you know, the best seats in the, in the place for the most loyal fan, replace it with 2,200. And, uh, cut the capacity to 77.5, which, uh, I would guess this year there won't be a crowd anywhere near that small. Uh, you know, this is a team that if they live up to their billing and to their expectations could, they'll have three or four sellouts, three or four 90,000. So that would be a place where, and I'm not even sure if the way it's structured at USC now, the athletic director has much of a voice. That's where I'd really like to see him have a voice. Uh, uh, another place I'd like to see is his men coming, you know, with a really extensive background in broadcasting, you know, at CBS. Uh, you would love to see him 
uh, maybe take the lead in the Pac-12 uh, in terms of reworking everything about both the uh, you know TV contract at large with ESPN and Fox and and everybody uh, that has you know for a moment USC you know and the Pac-12 was in a good place now they're in a terrible position vis-a-vis the SEC and the Big Ten and really the Big 12 and the ACC passing them so they're now fifth and yet they also have a network the Pac-12 networks that's just way 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 behind in uh in uh you know exposure the number of households it's in compared to the big ten and the SEC and way 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 behind in terms of uh uh revenue producing you know for the schools a little over a million dollars a year when the uh big ten and the SEC are you know five or six million uh minimum from from pretty much day one and uh in future years it looks like you know where the Pac twelve is is going to be stuck at maybe 25 million a year per school uh, total, you know, revenue through the Pac-12. Uh, that the uh, uh, SEC is going to be above 40 million, and the Big Ten with their contract with TV just going nuts, uh, uh, close to 50 million, and uh, that's going to add up really quickly. And uh, for the top teams in the Pac-12, they can't fall. Uh, you know, 15 to 20 million dollars a year behind in revenue from the, you know, the, the big schools and the big, you know, the Big Ten, the SEC can't. They just can't. And so there's where, you know, I'd really like to see Lynn step up and, uh, and make his mark. So we'll see. Yeah, we definitely will. We're, it's, uh, it's kind of a year of observations. The first year we'll see what happens, uh, you know, through the second year. Um, David from behind the orange curtain says, okay, the regular season is over. Signing day is behind us. So let's talk NCAA. Yes, to no one's surprise, the case is dragging on and everyone looks like they are digging their heels in. But riddle me this, Batman. What happened to the documentary? Last time I heard, uh, Dan talk on the subject, they were looking for a narrator. Here in SoCal, that should have taken about a week. <laughs> what does the, pro- where does the project stand? Is it possible everyone connected with the project is waiting for a settlement or the actual court hearing? The latter could take forever. Thank you for in advance for holding me over until the next season. Dan in Orange County. Yeah, Dan, uh, I think. I'm sorry, David. It, sorry, it, David in Orange County. David, I think it has to kind of be restructured. I don't think the most difficult part is if you're going to try to structure any kind of documentary about the evils of the NCA or what they did to USC, you kind of need some participation from USC. And that's just not going to happen. Um, uh, and, and who's to say USC made a, you know, a decision. I think that they said, we don't want to screw up. Uh, we've just announced the largest fundraising campaign in the history of American higher education, $6 billion. And they hit it 18 months early, as we're told just here in the last week. Uh, and they're going to extend it for three more years and $3 billion more. So, you know, you could say, hey, they made a calculated decision, that, you know, and maybe deep down the people at the highest levels at USC said yes. We know we got screwed. Nobody else has been treated like this 
yes, it's probably illegal what the NCAA did to us. Absolutely, you know, it was a conspiracy to knock USC down because they were all so afraid of USC with Pete Carroll and, the, you know, Will Ferrell and Snoop Dogg on the sidelines and all that was going on. It, it scared three Heisman winners in four years. It scared them to death. And they said, that's, you know, we set the BCS up. You know, if you're the SEC, you say, hey, we set it up for us to win. We're scared to even be in the championship game if it's one of those good USC teams. So did they, you know, did everything, you know, correspond to taking USC down? Yeah, I mean, all you knew if you were at the NCAA, you knew you were going to get a big blue ribbon for taking USC down. It didn't matter. The, the, the problem was they thought they had the goods, and then they got into it, and after four years, they didn't have anything. So, unfortunately, they had to make it up, which they did, and now we have the Todd McNair case. So I think in the future, this kind of my thinking is that if you're going to do a documentary, uh, a 30 for 30, for example, you know, ESPN has done some really nice job, you know, stuff on 30 for 30. I don't think they did a very good job on the USC one. Uh, and they decided to skip the whole McNair and the NCA story because they didn't know how to deal with it, couldn't include it in the, uh, you know, the scope of the documentary that they had, so they kind of passed on it. Problem is now, obviously, ESPN is in business, for example, with the SEC. They're in business, you know, and, you know, they're the, the way they're losing money at ESPN, they're not going to, you know, do something that's going to uh, make it more difficult. Uh, so I think the way to go is with the trial, and you know, whether there is a trial or not. I mean, it's set for, you know, there's going to be one, and they're in that place where they're, you know, doing all the negotiations for uh, discovery and, you know, deposing witnesses and what have you in preparation for maybe, you know, a year away as they build to this trial. Uh, that the way to go with some kind of a documentary would be to focus on Todd McNair, that this one guy on his own maybe is going to take the NCAA down as they should be taken down, you know, in this case. And so you can't really do that until this is over. Uh, I mean, Todd, rightfully with his attorney's, uh, you know, advice is not, you know, not talking to the press. He's not, they're not doing things where, you would give, you know, the opposing side, you know, the whatever it is, the $3,000-an-hour lawyers that the NCAA just hired uh, a chance to, you know, come after you in any way. So so I think that's more the case, is, is there just not a place for an anti-NCAA uh, documentary at this time because it's still hanging fire in terms of, um, you know, what happens in the McNair case. And, uh, you know, what all is unearthed, uh, through that process. I mean, seven of the eight, uh, committee on infractions people who decided USC's fate have yet to be deposed. So, I mean, that, that should be very interesting and, and, and should take, if you were going to do a documentary, that should take it to a different place. And, uh, and, and without USC's cooperation, uh, it's hard to make, you know, it's hard to say, oh, Look what the NCAA did to USC if USC is not willing to say that. And they're not. They haven't been. Uh, you know, tiptoeing around it a little bit, but uh, have never really wanted to make that case. Uh, and, you know, maybe it'll work out. Maybe the whole the way the Todd McNair case plays out, 
the whole world will say, man, USC really got screwed. I mean, I think they're mostly there now. I mean, I don't, I don't think anybody defends, uh, you know, what the NCAA did, but I think just, you know, allowing that all to come out might be the best way, you know, for this to develop into the kind of documentary I think we'd all like to see. But anyway, good question. Thanks. Uh, but stay tuned uh, over the next year. Thanks for that one, David. Uh, let's go to Ron. He said, I'm hopeful that Clay Helton will find the right guy for our running back coach. What I still cannot understand is how USC lost Tommy Robinson for a lateral move to LSU, not to the NFL, not to Ohio State or Alabama, to Louisiana State University. Is the greater revenue from the SEC and Big Ten networks starting to tilt the financial scale in the, their direction of schools like LSU who can potentially pay more? Was this lateral move uh, about money or something else signed? Ron, who is Ron, who is completely confused in Northern Virginia. Yeah, Ron, I think, you know, I, I, it looks like, I don't know if you saw Bruce Feldman's really good piece on being in the war room at LSU with, uh, at Orgeron. And that was on, when, uh, signing day was a Wednesday. And Ed mentioned during that day, you know, we got a, uh, uh, meeting tomorrow morning with athletic director Joe Oliva. And I want to really, uh, Get Tommy, uh, uh, Tommy Robinson and, uh, a young coach that they, uh, uh, out of New Orleans who coaches at Louisiana Tech, uh, whose name, uh, escapes me at this point. Mickey something. Uh, Joseph, I believe. Uh, and want to get those two on board. And they were letting go to, you know, fairly long, uh, established coaches at LSU who had been with the previous staff. And, just like that, apparently, bing, bang, you know, they have an early morning meeting with the AD, and boom, you know, here they are offering Tommy uh, uh, like a $250,000 raise, plus assistant head coach and director of recruiting. Uh, to be honest, I think Tommy would have stayed at USC for a whole lot less, but I don't know that it was forthcoming. I don't know that USC has the ability to, you know, answer that kind of a, you know, uh, a rush from somebody. And obviously, uh, Clay and Tommy were really close. Clay brought Tommy back. Tommy went to Texas when Sark wouldn't rehire him, which was a big mistake, obviously, by Sark. Um, went to Texas for two years, and everybody knew back here that if he could come back to USC, he would be back in a heartbeat, which happened, and he was back. Uh, so as much as he loved USC, I think he also loved working with Ed. No question. He you know, was on that staff that had to turn around under Ed that year. And uh, Ed came after him hard the way Ed does. And Ed can be awfully you know, persuasive. And if you offer a guy you know, that kind of difference in money, I think they were smart at LSU. They were bringing in a young coach from Louisiana Tech with Tommy. So they didn't have to offer, uh, you know, some of the money that maybe Tommy got. They weren't having to pay, you know, a young coach coming from, you know, Louisiana Tech who maybe was making a hundred thousand or something like that. So, uh, I mean, I think everything, you know, fell in line, but let's face it. There is a big difference. LSU's defensive coordinator, Dave Aranda, 
uh, an Inland Empire guy for, who was at Wisconsin. They hired him. He's now making $1.8 million a year. Their new offensive coordinator, uh, Matt Canada from um, Pitt, they just hired him. He's getting $1.5 million. That's $3.3 million for two coaches at LSU. Now, I know everybody earlier in the year, in the offseason, was all excited because Michigan was paying, the first time anybody was paying three assistant coaches a million dollars each, including uh, former USC coach Tim Drevna. And every and said, wow, that's the first time any staff in history has ever paid three assistants a million dollars or more. But now here's LSU, got two assistants making 3.3 between them. So is there a difference? Yeah. Yeah, the SEC, uh, you know, is it a difference in priorities? Sure. Should coaches be making that much? No. I mean, that's just, that's crazy. But, um, you know, the money is there. Even at a school like LSU, when they're talking last year about they were going to have to shut down because of the state tax situation, the oil, you know, market kind of dropped pretty significantly and, L- and Louisiana depends a lot on that. But, uh, uh, that's a tough way to, you know, uh, it's, it's tough going against them head to head, but USC's got some real advantages. And, and Tommy made it clear how much he loved it here. And it's a great place to, you know, to coach and to be and to live and all those other kinds of things. But I think USC probably has to figure out ways to be competitive. And, um, being part of the Pac 12 is not one of those ways right now. Uh, it's just, that's not a way to be competitive. And, uh, and, and when you compete, when you compare the difference in the two, you know, conference networks or, you know, the way CBS has, uh, the SEC contract for football and the way they promote the SEC, who promotes the Pac-12 among the, uh, you know, the, the major networks? Nobody. I mean, you know, they'll take a good USC game. They'll promote it as much as they can that week. But, uh, you know, USC's going to have to make some decisions. Is it in their best interest in the long run to stay, you know, in a league with uh, Oregon State and Washington State and, you know, schools that, uh, you know, that just aren't anywhere. And, you know, schools that are getting just as much in the Pac-12 as USC is. and uh, is, is that the best way to go? If you're trying to save a guy like Tommy Robinson, it's not. So there you go. All right. Um, let's see. We're going to go to Paul in Las Vegas. He says, um, question for Dan. Uh, it has to do with the success of our recruiters uh, are having with Polynesian players. We are killing the competition in this regard. And the more Polynesian players we get, the more they seem to want to come. And we're doing this without any Polynesian coaches. Is that correct? Or is Johnny Nansen of Polynesian descent? Uh, I believe he is, yes. Uh, he is. Yeah. Question is, is there anything we could do to further our chances with Polynesian players? Do we really need to try, or do we really... Uh, or do we really need to try, given our success with them? And does USC offer any Polynesian studies academically? Thanks, uh, Paul in Las Vegas. You know, I'm not. A, I'm not absolutely certain about the Polynesian studies. I know there's a. I saw video, uh, different videos of 
they have like a Polynesian cultural group and uh of ones where, you know, some of the football players were were uh you know doing the uh you know traditional dances and things like that. Uh I don't know. I, I think what USC has to offer is a really good family atmosphere and which I think transcends ethnicity. I, I just think that, that you just like the idea that that they come here, you know, family is so important and that they, you know, feel that everybody you recruit feels like they're part of a family. So I think that's the thing that, you know, and I think it helps to be a private school. I don't, I don't think there's any question it helps. And to be honest, I tell you, one of the biggest helps that USC's had in a long, long time is Stevie Tuikalavatu walking in here last year, deciding this is where he wanted to be part of the USC family. And I, I just think there will be, you know, we, we talk about, you know, 10 years later, kids are still talking about Reggie Bush, uh, and, you know, growing up and watching Reggie Bush. And I, I just think the impact of, of, of one guy like that, you know, walking on and deciding, you know, I want to be part of USC and, you know, sleeping in his car and blue shirting and not getting the scholarship and, you know, bringing his wife and going into, you know, um, gerontology and the, the, and the graduate program and all that. I just think, I think that's more important than, than maybe having a designated poly, you know, poly recruiter. Uh, not that that's not important. I just think, uh, I just think, you know, that, that having, a, having a program which, you know, Clay has built, I mean, faith, you know, family and football. And I think it's so strongly, you know, a family centered program. I think that more than almost anything, plus, you know, all the history and the excellence and all the, the guys who've come before have, uh, have made it an attractive place. Uh, and so, so that's kind of, would be my focus uh, rather than trying to hit everybody over the head with the, you know, the Polynesian part of it. I think they'll pick up on, you know, they'll pick up on this is a place where, you know, you're welcome. You're part of the family. It is your family. Uh, I think that's the, that's the way to go. Let's go to Frank in Las Vegas. Uh, he said, I loved your article. Don't forget the Rose Bowl. I'm sure a lot of Pac-12 coaches will have nightmares about that game during the offseason. In the article, you not only talked about the offense. I'm, I'm sorry. In the article, you only talked about the offense. I would love to hear your thoughts on the USC defense. USC's defensive uh, defense seems to either be great or bad, uh, never just quote-unquote good. Case in point, the Rose Bowl, they held Penn State scoreless in the first and fourth quarters but allowed three touchdowns in both the second and the third quarters. I'm not including the Penn State touchdown that resulted from an interception in the third quarter. Uh, at Washington, the only touchdown allowed was when a Dory slipped and fell. But at Utah, USC's defense couldn't seem to stop fourth and short in the fourth quarter. What do you think USC's defense seems to, why do you think it seems to be either great or needs improvement? Frank in Las Vegas. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, feast or famine. And, uh, look at the Stanford game. You know, they basically held Stanford to two touchdowns except for two unbelievable breakdowns where they gave up 56 yard touchdowns out of nowhere. So, you know, it, it was, it's been a kind of a pattern and they do, uh, you know, have a tendency to, uh, you know, Clancy got them coming at you and doing different things. 
and uh, you know when there's a breakdown. Now I look at the, the Penn State game. You had two things going on. Penn State, of all the teams in the country, was this big play team where they just threw it up for grabs, took chances, went for the long ball, you know, and that worked for them, as you said, for two quarters. And then that last long ball that you know Trace McSorley threw, threw it up for grabs. Uh, that didn't work out so well with Leon McQuay coming down with it. But until that time, you know, basically everything was, you know, it hit, uh, I'm on Marshall, you know, tips it with one hand and it goes right into Godwin's, you know, hands and he just, you know, for the touchdown and they just had, had, you know, the long ball working for him and it didn't work, you know, and USC probably got some bad breaks in that game and that, that's what happens. And if that happens, you better outscore them. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I think that has to be a focus this year. That they just have none of those breakdowns, none of those bad, you know, tackling angles, uh, none of those, uh, you know, failure to adjust, uh, you know, to, you know, or, or letting a big receiver take advantage of you or whatever, uh, which, which happened more than once. I mean, this is going to be a team that's going to have a lot more size. You know, they're going to have, uh, safeties that are 6'3 and 6'4. Um, it'd be interesting to see how it ends up with, uh, you know, the corner opposite Iman. But, uh, uh, and I think there's going to be more of a rotation, you know, keep hearing really good things about these freshman defensive linemen. So, uh, and I think some of the red shirt, you know, kids are, are going to step in in ways that, that we haven't, haven't seen them. I and mean, I'm excited about Connor Murphy and Alawali Batika, you know, how, how do they fit in after a year? Uh, you know, on the edge, and and you know what kind of moves uh, is USC able to make as a result? I mean, it's going to be a bigger, you know, rangier defense. I think it's going to be a a defense. I mean, the the issue is how sound do they get? Uh, how soon and how sound can they get? Because September is going to tell the tale, and they got to be there. They're going, you know, Sanford in game two. And then, uh, Texas comes in and people are still picking Texas, you know, in the top 20. And they've got a Heisman, you know, candidate in, uh, quarterback Shane Beekle. So, uh, it's going to be, uh, you know, they better be ready quick. I said so spring ball is going to really matter, you know, for these guys. But having had a year under Clancy and knowing what they, you know, what it looks like when they do it really well and what it looks like when they don't, uh, I think that'll, That'll help them, uh, you know, get to where they they've got to go. But uh, they've got a they've got athletes. They're young. They they don't have a you know a ton of experience with the the guys that are coming in. But um, uh, it, you know, it'll be interesting to see. I think Clancy's going to approach it a little differently this year in terms of getting more people ready, as happened during the season, uh, knowing that you really need to be able to you know wear people out. Although what I'd like to see with the whole offensive thing is I'd like to see USC wear people out on offense to the point that if you get up on Stanford enough, it doesn't matter what they do offensively because if they're playing catch-up, that's not a really good place for a team like Stanford to be. And that's the kind of thing you want the USC offense to go out there and say, you know, we're going to, you know, we're going to, you know, rack up 50 and, can you beat that? Uh, I think that's kind of the, you know, the attitude. And then you make teams take chances. You make teams do stuff that they don't want to do. 
and you take the ball away. I mean, that was the big secret with Pete. Uh, they got ahead and then they took the ball away because they, they force you to do things you don't want to do. But, uh, you know, they got to be ready to, to, to do that. I mean, and, and one of the other challenges is going to come fairly quickly is that Washington State game. I mean, Washington State, you know, has more highly ranked individual players than USC does. And so, you know, that's going to be an interesting challenge, uh, you know, up in the Palouse. Uh, the end of September. So, uh, I think you're right. Defense gotta, gotta step up and not give, not give anything away. Cause I think the offense ought to be good enough to, to, you know, win any game. You know, if, you, if they were good enough to win that Penn State game, and that was a, that was a good Penn State defense. That was an active, uh, uh, experienced, athletic, Penn State defense that really specialized in getting to the quarterback and giving you bad plays. They couldn't do any of that. Uh, and that's what I think USC's got to go into every game and say, you know, we're going to be able to do that, uh, to anybody we play. That means you got to, you got to put a lot of points on the board to beat us. And that's where the defense has got to come in and take advantage of teams knowing that they got to score some points. Uh, Tarek had a question, Dan. He wants to know, uh, what needs to be Clay Helton's main priority for spring practice? Huh, I think it's, it, there are more guys who I think are close to being ready to play who haven't played than ever I can remember. Uh, all those red shirt kids that we would see get better week after week after week and challenge the, the guys in the two deep rotation. And so I think that ability to incorporate those guys and, and come out of spring with, uh, not just a two deep, but a two deep plus of guys who really know what they're doing and really feel like they, they're expected to be part of the, you know, going forward and expected to be part of, you know, the whole, uh, program for next year that, that they feel like that they're a part of this team and where they're where they belong, and all of that, you know, and some of those names I just mentioned. I think getting those guys up to the place where where they need to be is uh, is what you'd like to see, where they really have a sense of this is who this team is, and this is who it's going to win with, and this is how they're going to help us win. I think is the key. And there are an awful lot of those guys, especially on defense, I think, and then the 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 way the the three open positions on the offensive line shake out. I think those both of those are I mean, I'm pretty confident that, you know, as young as the wide receiver group is that they're gonna step up uh, behind uh you know Deontay Burnett. But uh but I think that that would be kind of the the goal that I'd like to see them uh you know uh fulfill is to come out of out of spring with a really with a team that kind of feels like it's a veteran team because uh, I think we know that they're pretty talented. I think they're going to have to change a little bit the way they approach the, uh, you know, the offensive line blocking. They're not going to be anywhere near as big or experienced, but I think they can be more athletic, more active, and how they, you know, change those that kind of dynamic. I, I think will be interesting uh, and important for sure. Um... Carl wrote in, he said, 
Does the rumor that EJ Price is attending classes this spring have any merit uh, for purposes of transfer or Hilton grace period for spring practice? Uh, Carl wants to know. Yeah, I mean, it for those who you know say, well, why didn't he transfer? There was nothing he could do. He can't play next year. Whether he stays at USC, whether he transfers somewhere else, I guess he could have gone to spring ball somewhere else. Didn't matter. He's going to have to be somewhere for a full year. So he was out next fall uh, no matter what. So if he's got better grades, more time to decide where to go and all of that, uh, coming out of staying here another year or another semester, and, you know, with the – you know, the four-year scholarship thing and all of that, uh, he can stay. Uh, but, uh, but I wouldn't get overly, uh, you know, excited about, oh, he'll, you know, he'll come back or there's a place for him to come back. Uh, I'm not sure that that's an option. I mean, you don't ever want to say never, but, um, but I think, you know, academically, I think people back in Georgia encouraged him not to come back, that, that he'd be better off staying. And, um, you know, just personally, that this was a better situation for him. So, I mean, again, you want to never say never, but I don't think football is at the forefront of, of, of what, what's going on with, with EJ Price being at USC this second semester. I mean, it's, I think it's a smart move. So you could academically, you know, get himself uh, in a really good place and then you know he's still going to have to be in residence um, somewhere all of next year uh, so you know might as well go with as good an academic background uh, as many credits and you know as much of a grade point average as you can take with you rather than maybe get out of there a little little sooner and have to scramble somewhere else or go to a junior college or whatever and I guess he could go to a junior college next year and play. Uh, whether he wants to do that or not, I don't know. Uh, but I think it's, it's a smart thing to stay at USC. If, you know, you're on scholarship, you might as well stay and get as much out of it as you can. We had a question from Peter. He wrote in. He said, thank you for the podcast. Uh, my question is for you or the wise Mr. Dan Weber about Redshirt freshman. Sorry, I didn't mean to laugh. I call you wise. It's just nice of him to do that. Um, about redshirt freshman last year. He said, by my count, 17 freshmen from last season took a redshirt year because they didn't play or were injured. Who among this group will step up and make significant contribution to the team? He said, fight on Peter in San Francisco. And he goes, here's the freshman as I understand it. And I'm going to cross check his email with my scholarship chart. So he says, quarterback, Matt Fink. Uh, that's true. Tailback, uh, Vivai Malapai. Um, and he also lists Chris Edmondson, but he's not a scholarship player. So that's really only one, um, running back redshirted. There are, uh, four wide receivers, Josh and Torbebe, Tyler Vaughns, Phyllis Jones, and Trayvon Sidney. Um, at tight end, Kerry Angeline, uh, he redshirted on the offensive line, uh, Frank Martin and Nathan Smith. Uh, and on the defensive side, uh, Liam Jimmins at defensive tackle. Um, Connor Murphy at defensive end. No, he played. He didn't redshirt. So, he played. Yeah, so he's not he's not one of those redshirt guys. Uh, he put linebacker Jordan Iosefa. He also played, so he's not a redshirt. Um, cornerback 
Uh, Keyshawn Young, he actually played too, so he's not a red shirt. Um, safety, uh, Jamel Cook, he definitely red shirted and CJ Pollard, um, he red shirted and he, he missed one, uh, Michael Brown, um, the kicker, blue shirted slash, uh, red shirt. <laughs> he red shirted last season. So there's a few in there, uh, Peter that did not, uh, red shirt that we, but we, I kind of cross checked him with my list. So is that, that's how you understand it, right, Dan? Yeah. Uh, so if you want to pick on some of those, I mean, you ended up with the one, who knows, uh, we're not sure what's happening with, uh, you know, the Matt Bormeister student contact issue that has him separated now. So, uh, you know, Brown may, he may just have to, you know, step up and, and be the guy. I mean, he did get to do a lot of kicking in practice. So, uh, it wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me if, uh, do we, does USC have to, it might have to go that way in the spring. Anyway. Uh, as far as, uh, I think Vavai is definitely going to get, you know, a chance in that, in the rotation. He brings some things, uh, you know, size and, 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 and what have you that sort of that, you know, in between guy. He's got, uh, got all the skill set. Um, let's see, uh, Jamel Cook, I think you have to take a look at 6-4, active, aggressive, you know, Florida kid that, that really wants, you know, SEC type kid that wants to hit you. Um, uh, for the offensive, I, I, I think that's to be determined with Nathan with his, uh, with his ACL surgery. We're not going to see him in the spring and the summer. So that may be a, a tougher pull for him. The four, uh, wide receivers, you've got, I think Trevon Sidney had some hip, uh, hip cartilage surgery. So, not sure where that's gonna, you know, gonna put him. The other three, I think you're gonna see, uh, all of them get a chance. Uh, they've each got some, you know, individual, uh, you know, athletic things that they could do. I mean, there's some skill there. And I think Kerry Angeline is without question, you know, a guy who's gonna play. Uh, he's gonna be, you know, that, give you that three man, tight end rotation he's got you know he runs great patterns he's uh he catches the ball really well uh we'll see how big he gets uh you got a six seven frame so he could he could certainly you know put on some weight he could play at 260 probably uh which would require you know 35 pounds probably uh eventually but uh he's got a lot of i think a lot of potential um Let's see, I'm not sure if I'm missing anybody in that list. I mean, Ola Wally and Connor Murphy were almost red shirts. Uh, but, uh, uh, I think, you know, I'm going to almost count them, uh, cause you don't think, you know, they're going to be here for five years anyway. So it's probably good that they get a little bit of, uh, you know, action on the field, but, uh, I think, uh, their development is going to be real important, I think. And so Jordan ESF as well. And they're all, they're kind of all, uh, you know, those kids that just got a taste of it, but, uh, this could be, you know, their chance to really, uh, you know, cement, uh, a place in that too deep rotation. I think the too deep is going to matter a lot this year that the rotations are, are really going to be important. We have one last one for you, Dan, John, and Brea. He said, what is your opinion of USC's long-term success as an athletic department if they remain in the Pac-12? We were kind of hoping that Lynn Swan would bring his TV experience to the table and challenge some of Larry Scott's decisions. Clearly, 
after seeing the Rose Bowl numbers, Larry Scott doesn't understand what the Pac-12 has in USC and how best to use the national brand to deliver more money to each school and especially to USC. Have you seen or heard Lynn Swan address any of the issues facing USC as a member of the Pac-12 having to live with this terrible TV contract? Uh, thanks for your time and fight on, John and Brea. Yeah, John, good question. I've heard that he gets it, uh, that Lynn gets it. I've heard also Larry Scott gets it now. You know, when Larry came in, USC was, you know, the, what is it, the redheaded stepchild. You know, they were heading, heading to, uh, you know, NCAA uh, exile. And um, Larry was courting the other 11 schools or the other nine schools. And then, you know, they went to 12. But uh, I think Larry now realizes, oh, you know, if USC is really good, we can be back in the middle of things, you know. And so I have a feeling Larry probably belatedly, after a long time, understands uh, what it means to the Pac-12 for USC to be USC. Uh, you know, it's for example, it's different. The Big Ten always knows what it, what it means for Ohio State and Michigan to be Ohio State and Michigan. Uh, the SEC understands they need Alabama to be Alabama. They may not like it, but they're not working, you know, they're not basically trying to take them down. But the, the Pac-12, for some unbelievable reason, the jealousy and, you know, the, the willingness to, you know, look the other way. I mean, the SEC is not going to let you take down one of their teams. I think the Pac-12 almost rejoiced when USC went down. Uh, and that's a difference. There, There is a difference there. Uh, and I think Larry realized which way the wind was blowing, and he was he was in that boat too with him. But uh, but I think they're going to figure some things out. And that's where USC has to, you know, start. I mean, uh, you know, USC, I guess, felt like they were in a bad negotiating position. So, you know, <laughs> they went to those original meetings about the Pac-12 and the networks and all that. And the only thing they fought for, they fought for one thing and one thing alone. Give us the weekender. Please give us the weekender. Let us play one game, one weekend a year in Northern California, and we won't ask for anything else. And that's what they got. They got the weekender, even if it was on a Thursday sometimes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> kind of defeats that the purpose. Was yeah. Unbelievable. I, we, I remember we were, they were playing Cal, I guess it was, the weekend they had those negotiations for the Pac-12. And we ran into at Lefty O'Doul's Friday night. USC people were coming from the negotiations and the agreements. And I remember just incredulously hearing about how things had gone. And how USC said, sure, we're glad to be just, just give us the same share, the same influence that Oregon State has. Sure, that'll be fine. You know, and you just thought, what in the world are they thinking? But they thought, oh, we're in a terrible position. The NCAA's come down on us. Everybody's gonna, you know, we got no, no negotiating. Luckily, they're gonna let us stay. And, um, and that's been the case. They've been, you know, one of 12. 
and the Pac-12, obviously. You know, what's going to happen? I don't think there's anybody in college football, college sports, who doesn't think someday there's going, there, where there will be four 16-team super conferences. You've got 65 at the Power 5 now. You know, that gives you 64. And, um, you know, each conference will be eight, you know, two eight-team divisions, and the conference championships uh, will each be the first game of the playoffs and produce four playoff contenders. Uh, and I don't think anybody doesn't think that's the way it's going to be. But does anybody think that the current Pac-12 all 12 of those teams deserve to be in that, you know, Super 64. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, is that the way it shakes out? Or do you, do you figure out a way that, you know, they kind of screwed it up? You know, they had help from Texas and Oklahoma when there was a chance that the Pac-12 could have made that move originally, which would have changed everything. And it didn't happen in Texas and Oklahoma didn't come. But, you know, from my, you know, standpoint, a, a super conference that had, you know, the eight or ten top Pac-12 teams and four or six, uh, Big 12, let's say, Texas, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, whatever, uh, would be the way to go with East and West. You know, where you could have, you know, Colorado and Utah be part of the pack, you know, whatever you want to call that, uh, the big pack. Uh, 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 that would seem to be the way to go and to, to have a, a conference that had Oklahoma and Texas and USC, uh, would be an awfully good conference. And, uh, I'd like to, I'd like to see somebody start working on that, to be honest. And I'd like to see them Put that together, and does that mean you maybe discard some of the Pac-12s, and would there be a lot of screaming and shouting and wailing and gnashing, you know, you know, teeth and all that? Yeah, yeah, there would. It'd be tough, but I think that's where college sports are going, and uh, I think USC has to go there. And USC needs to be in the forefront of that, and not, you know, be trailing along with the Pac-12. Uh, USC's got to, I think, start taking the lead. I mean, and, and there's the opportunities there. Uh, you know, Fox Sports is in LA. ESPN keeps, you know, gearing up. You know, they run their, a lot of their college sports out of LA. Uh, I think there's an awful, you know, maybe, you know, you start little, like you go to the Pac-12 and say, you know what? It's really dumb to have the Pac-12 networks and these, this unbelievably high priced, uh, real estate in the Embarcadero in San Francisco. Uh, the uh, telecommunications uh, media center in the U.S. and the world is in L.A. It ought to be in L.A. And, of course, they didn't want it in L.A. But uh, you say there's more, you know, there's more talent. There's there much more opportunity to make it work in L.A. I mean, the SEC, for example, when they had a chance to go with uh, ESPN, and they already had studios in Charlotte, they said, we'll just go there. We'll take those studios in Charlotte. Charlotte's not even in SEC country. They made poor Paul Feinbaum move from Birmingham to Charlotte. Why? Because it made sense economically, financially. And here's the Pac-12, you know, spending like, uh, you know, some oil-rich potentate 
to build all these studios in, you know, in, in San Francisco. Well, I think that's the kind of stuff USC ought to be lobbying for and saying, you know, you ought to be down here. You know, you ought to have access to a kind of college students and interns and graduates and that that are being produced in this market. And, uh, I just, you know, just keep putting the pressure on the Pac-12 to, to change its ways. And if they don't, you make it clear, you know, there are other ways to do this. And I think that kind of long-range thinking, I think, really important for USC right now. I mean, the, the contract isn't up till 2024-25, but, man, I think they need to get way, way ahead of things right now. Dan Weber does a great job covering USC football for us at uscfootball.com. Great show. Thanks so much for uh, coming on. It was uh, good stuff. Good, and good questions. Good. I'm glad people are thinking ahead. Cause <laughs> We went, Someone's got we, it. We hope USC is, uh, because it's, that's where it's, it's all going to be. And you can't continue if somebody in the Big Ten is making fifty million at Illinois, and you're making twenty-five million. And I'm about ready to make a move here. I got got somebody at the door. Okay. <laughs> Well, thanks, Dan. All right. Take care. Thanks okay. so much. Bye. And everyone else, thanks so much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast, and we will talk to you next time. Most people know that buying or selling real estate is no small undertaking. Understanding the market value of your home, pricing, advertising, closing, and perhaps even selling personal property along the way are all examples of the real estate journey. And Michael Moline Real Estate has the experience to help make that journey an enjoyable one. Southern California real estate inventories are at historic lows, so there is no better time than now to sell your residential property. Whether you're moving into a bigger home or downsizing, personal property is often a component of the real estate estate transaction. Michael Moline Real Estate has industry expertise to help you with both your real property and your personal property as you get ready to transition. Michael Moline Real Estate specializes in properties located on the west side of Los Angeles and the southern San Fernando Valley communities. Allow Michael Moline Real Estate to give you a free comparative market analysis and home valuation so you know how much your home is worth today. Contact Michael Moline at michaelmolinerealestate.com. That's Michael, M-O-L-I-N-E, realestate.com. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 